welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. You can go ahead and open there. I have here a, uh, a puzzle. And uh, this puzzle, if I was to just dump it out, it's a small puzzle pieces, probably wouldn't make much sense to you if I just gave you one particular piece. Just stick with me for a second. Pretend you had never seen a jigsaw puzzle. And all I did was I gave you one piece of the jigsaw puzzle and I said, here, do this. Nobody ever taught you that these puzzle pieces go together. Nobody had ever taught you that they make a design. I, I just hand it to you and say, say, go do this. And you would be confused. You might notice that there were colors on it. You might notice that there were some designs on it, but with no context picture or no context clues, you wouldn't understand what you were doing. Luckily for us, with puzzle pieces and puzzles, that's not what we do. We don't just give you a bunch of pieces and say, figure out what to do with these. Every puzzle, or I don't know every puzzle, I guess most puzzles, all the ones that I'm capable of doing, come with a picture on the box. And that picture on the box is to give you a guide for what you're aiming for and what you should be doing. See, when you take all all those puzzle pieces together, you work hard, you put a lot of effort and focus into them, and you arrange them together, all of these individual pieces that don't make sense suddenly do something amazing. They create a bigger picture. And it, and it um, kind of occurs to me that sometimes that's the way we look at our Bible. Like we get a part of our Bible, a verse or a couple verses, and by itself, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You might not understand everything about the Bible by just one or two verses. But all of the Bible together and all of these verses, when you start to, to attach them to other pieces of the puzzle, other verses, starts to create this beautiful picture of God's love for us and his design for our world and for us. We've been in this series called Shine Bright. And what we're talking about in Shine Bright is we want our actions, not just our words, but our actions to show Christ to others. Because at the end of the day, people don't want to hear about Jesus from your mouth if they do not see him in your life. And last week, Peter began to teach us what it means to shine bright. And, and he basically put it this way. He said, okay, this world that you live in, just go ahead and imagine that you don't actually live here, that you're just visiting. Because as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven you and I are visiting one day we will take our last breath and we will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and this world will just be a distant memory so live accordingly to that this is a place that you're visiting and you're passing through since you are visiting and passing through you should live uh, not live like the world but live differently he says abstain from the norms of the world the sinful norms of the world and you should stand out Last week, he began to talk about submission. He said specifically submission to government. The norm of this world is everybody will want to fight and attack the government, but you, good and faithful servant, you will be submissive to it as a reflection of your submission to me. He takes that a step farther and he talks about submission to your masters, to your bosses, or even to a slave owner. In this, you glorify God when you submit and respect people whether they deserve it or not. Now, Peter is going to continue talking about what it looks like to live as a standout person in this world, and he's going to begin to talk about marriage. And if you were to just dive into Peter's, and this is what we sometimes do, if you were to just dive into Peter's instructions on marriage, and you just got one piece of the puzzle, it would probably be insulting to you. 
If you don't have context and you don't have all of the pictures going together, it won't make sense. And culturally, our, our culture would say, okay, what Peter's saying here doesn't make sense. But collectively, when we put all the puzzle pieces of Peter's instructions on marriage together, it creates this beautiful picture and it creates this picture of God's love. So if we're focused on how we are going to witness to people with actions, we're going to have to focus on how we interact with people. See, the Bible says this, this is John 13, 35. It says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In John 22, 39, Jesus says that one of the greatest commandments is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A relationship and how we handle our relationships among other believers in Christ, with our families, within our marriages, these relationships are what identify us to the rest of the world as different than them. And there is no more intimate relationship than marriage. Because in marriage, the real you is going to come out. You can go to work for eight hours a day and you can put on that face. And you can pretend somebody you're not. And you can work with people for years. And then one day something will happen. They go, I never knew that about them. You can come to church for a few hours a week and you can pretend to be somebody you're not. As far as the rest of us are concerned, we don't know. But when you're married to somebody, they're going to know who you are. Because they know who you are when the baby screamed all night and the coffee waker's not working and you wake up and you're frustrated and you're tired. They know how you react to that. And so what Peter's going to say is, is we have to show Christ to the world and how we handle our marriages. And he's going to give instructions to both the husband and the wife. So if you've got your Bibles with you, read with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. This will be verses 1 through 4. It says, likewise, so he's continuing the same thought that he had earlier. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection, that word is often translated submission, to your own husbands, that if any not obey the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste uh, conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that uh, outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God, or which in the sight of God of great price. So as we read this, many of you have been to church and you've heard this, and immediately when you know we're going to talk about marriage, you know we're fixed to start talking about the husband and wives and the roles in the marriage, we start turning it off. <clears throat> okay, I'm sorry. Let's try again. You guys get the stuff going on this time of year? I invite you next time you get that to come stand up here and try to talk for 45 minutes. You're more than welcome to do so. Sorry about that. Okay, so let's back up. So we read these instructions, and if the first thing that we do is we begin to put up walls and we begin to reject it, and we begin to find that God's instructions for marriage are insulting, the reason for that is that we have been captured by the lies of society. The lies of society will tell us that when we talk about the different roles between a husband and a wife, that these roles um, lead us into some kind of a controlling relationship. These roles may communicate that one spouse has lesser value than the other. It may communicate that one spouse owns the other and treats the other as property. But that is not true. Those are lies that society has put out. So our first take-home truth here on your notes is to be submissive doesn't mean to be <laughs> ruled over, controlled, owned, or be of lesser value. 
And that's often what our culture will tell us, is that when the Bible talks about these marriage roles, and it talks about the, the first aspect that we're talking about here, the wives' roles, and it says to be subject to or to be submissive to, that that's an insult to women. And there's two reasons that we end up believing that. Number one is that there is a war going on that we can't see. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world. And right now, there are demonic forces working across the world to take anything that God has made good and to destroy it so that they can steal the blessings from us of God's goodness and to destroy God's plan for this world. So right now, the design, God's design for marriage is under attack. The cultural norm is to reject God's design because it was created good by God. And therefore, the people waging war, the, the forces waging war on God do not want that. Secondly, and we need to go ahead and address this, that sometimes these verses are misused by men. See, there are men out there who have used these verses over time to use this as an excuse for abuse or to be controlling. And I just want you to know, and from the Bible, that is not God's intent in these verses. They are not meant to be used as a way of controlling someone or attacking someone. But at the same time, we can't ignore that these instructions for marriage exist. This is the intentional word of God laid out in his Bible for you and me. It's not like Peter was having a bad day and he had a fight with his wife. He's like, this will show her. I'll write down this. Women, you be subject to your husbands. Peter didn't do that. God's intentional word lays out instructions for us on how to handle marriage. So let's see if we can dig in and see what God's heart is here. Last week we talked about this. This is the same word, submit, that we talked about last week. And we learned last week that this is a military word. This, this word was used for troops being ordered under the authority of leaders. And that leaders would, then, leaders would then expect the troops under them to respect and respond to that authority. This is the same word that God is using here. So what the Bible teaches us is that within marriage, there is an authority structure ordained by God. To put it bluntly, we can quote Ephesians 5.23. That says very, um, very specifically, it says, for the husband is head of the wife. So submission is not about the husband getting everything he wants or demanding things from his wife. Submission is simply about honoring the authority structure that God created within marriage. And society says we push back against all authority. We push back against all authority that points to God. So we push back against any sense of authority in relationships that God has created. And we then say something like this is insulting to say that the husband is the head of the wife. And then we say things like, well, this means that God doesn't care about women as much as he does men. That women are less valuable or something like that. But consider this. Jesus Christ was God. He, he was part of the Trinity. He is one of the three persons. Three co-equal persons, one God. And yet the Bible says that the head of Christ is God the Father. Jesus completely equals God the Father, yet there's an authority structure even within the Trinity. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was struggling with, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want this to be it. And he prayed to God the Father. And he said, if there's any way out of this, let's do that way. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
What's the word for that? Jesus submitted to God the Father. So how could we say that an authority structure within marriage is insulting when Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was God, worked under a very similar authority structure in the same way? Now, let's compare this to the instructions for men because we're going to compare these two and see how they link up like two different pieces of the same puzzle. Look at verse 7. It says, likewise, so continuing the same thought, you husbands, dwell with them, that's your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, do you notice a difference between the instructions to the man and the instructions to the uh, wife? You'll notice, well, first off, it's shorter. It seems like there's one verse there given to the men and several verses given to the women. Some of the ladies are like, yeah, they don't have to submit. But if you'll notice something, that there's a difference here in the way that Peter addresses husbands. He gives instructions, but he doesn't give any explanation. And with instructions to a wife within a marriage, he gives instructions to them. If you look back in verses 1 and 2, what it says is submit to your husband that if even if he doesn't obey the word that he may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. What he's saying there is the conduct of a wife may result in the salvation of her husband. And then he should give some instructions on how to lead people to Christ with your actions. It says for women to be chaste, which means to abstain from, from world sexual lusts. For the adornment of a woman not to be outward, not to be your outward beauty but to be the inward beauty and this inward spirit that should be attractive to people and attracting people to Christ. So Peter goes on forward and says, ladies, listen, you may be in a situation where you're married to someone who is an unbeliever. And in that case, the way that you handle your marriage may be a way of winning them to Christ. Our deacons wouldn't have a problem with me telling you this. Three of the four deacons of our church were won to Christ because they first loved godly women. And I've heard them talk about meeting their wives and they'll be like, there was just something about her that I didn't understand. And it was attractive to me and I couldn't quite figure it out. And then they'd say, I, I now know that what I was sensing was the Holy Spirit in them. I was seeing God in them and they were attracted to God because of the life of their spouse. So your second take home truth to this is submission to God and relational roles is a witnessing tool. See, if you are a follower of Christ, you will represent Christ no matter where you go. You will do one of two things in that representation of Christ. You will push people away from him or you will pull people to him. What Peter is saying is in marriage, walk in marriage in obedience to God in hopes of pulling people to God. Now, you may have a question, well, why did, why did Peter say this to women? Hey, you know, look for the salvation of your husbands, but it didn't say it for men. And it's because whether or not our culture recognizes it or not, a husband is a de facto spiritual leader. It's built into the rhythm of how we live. It's not something that we necessarily choose to do. It's the way that God designed humankind in the way that he designed marriage. A study was once done and it said this, if a child is the first one in their family to come to Christ, three and a half percent of the time will the mother, father, and other siblings all come to Christ as well. If a wife is the first one to come to Christ, a wife or a mother, 17% of the time will she be able to lead the rest of the family to Christ Will they become Christians. But if a husband is the first one to come to Christ, 93% of the time the rest of the family will follow. 
See, just by the way that our, our world is organized by God, the husband is the key spiritual leader, whether we like to admit it or not. So the first reason that Peter says this to women is because, number one, number one, he's expecting that, that a lot of women are married to un, uh, un, non-Christian men. Secondly, is that throughout history, more women than men were attracted to the gospel. Now, let's not overlook the husband's role in this. Let's read this again. Read with me verses 7. So speaking to the husbands, this is likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Take home truth number three, is to love our spouse as Jesus loves us is a witnessing tool. That instruction right there in the Bible is countercultural in every culture that has existed in the world. It is countercultural to demand that a husband and his wife in his marriage honors and values his wife. If you look at what that scripture is saying, it's all about an emphasis of sharing your life with another individual. Nowhere in the world does that exist outside of the Christian ethic. See, see what, what Peter says is that as a husband, a husband should, he goes through the list, dwell with understanding, meaning make your home with your wife and make a focus of understanding her. Don't just live with her. Don't just demand things out of her. Understand who she is and what makes her tick. And then you honor the very special things that God has put within her. Understand her value in the marriage. And then it says this, live together as heirs, to of heirs together in the grace of life. Live as equals, not lord over them, but walk beside them. I once heard it explained this way when it comes to why did Adam or why did God create woman out of Adam? And you know the story in Genesis, right? God looked down on Adam. Adam was lonely, and God said, "It is not good that man should be alone." And so He took a what from Adam? A rib from Adam. Why, why did God choose a rib? Isn't that a weird thing to take from Adam? Could have took a finger. Could have took a foot. Could have took anything else. Why a rib? And I've heard it put this way, God did not take woman from man's head to be Lord over him, nor did he take woman from God's feet to be trampled under him. God took woman from Adam's side to walk beside him, under his arm to be protected by him, and close to his heart to be adored by him. See, what Peter, Peter is telling us here is so countercultural in the way that the world looks at the world. And he actually says this, men, listen, there is a consequence to not living in marriage this way. The, the consequence is this, is that it hinders your prayers. This is so important to God in God's word that men honor their wives and treat them with love and grace. That God says, your relationship with me as the Lord, of the Lord of the universe will be hindered by how you handle your relationship with your wife. If you mistreat her, that will hinder your prayers. It literally means, that word literally means to be cut off. That is how important it is to God. And this is the only place in the world that that is so. See, in the Greek culture that Peter was speaking into, there was no value for women within a marriage. If a husband caught his wife cheating on him, he had the complete authority of the law to kill her with no consequence. If a woman caught her husband cheating, there was no recourse at all. Simply, you had to deal with it. As a matter of fact, in Greek culture, it was believed that every man, every man needed a wife to bear him legitimate children, a mistress for sexual pleasure, and a concubine for daily needs. You notice all of those things have to do with, with a woman serving as an object for a man. 
In Muslim culture across most of the world, there is segregation of the sexes in all public places, women on one side, men on the other. When I was in Turkey, I saw often women walking 10 feet behind their husbands with their heads down. In Hindu culture, they actually had to create a law in the 1990s that outgirled or outlawed outlawed young girls being given to temples because what would happen is a family would donate their young girl to a temple where she would be put on display naked and she was considered public property for sexual use. They had to outlaw that, but that still happens. In other parts of history, Hindu temples required women to enter topless with nothing over the top of them. And if you wanted to wear something over the top, you had to pay a tax calculated based upon the size of your breast because the, the uh, priests of those temples needed sexual gratification. In modern China, they have a one-child law, and we see constantly women, young, young girls being thrown out on the streets or aborted because women are not seen as value. And our modern culture says that women have no value except for their sexual attractiveness. Think about Hollywood. How does Hollywood work? Do you notice the same female actresses from 10 and 15 years ago still doing movies today? You don't. Because what our society and our culture says is that you have no value in your role if you don't still appear to be in your early 20s. And so actresses are forced at a point where they begin to age, they're forced to, to say, okay, what is my value? What, what is, um, or what am I going to do to keep my career going? And I basically have to have plastic surgery or my career dies to make me appear young. This is the norm of our world, but not in Christian marriage. And this is attractive to others. Our fourth take home truth is countercultural Christian marriage values attract others to our faith. See, Christian marriage is attractive to people who understand it correctly. Rodney Stark wrote a book um, called The Rise of Christianity. And, and to understand what he was doing, you need to understand Rodney Stark. Rodney Stark was an atheist. He did not believe in God. And so he said, this is a crazy thing, this, this rise of Christianity. I want to look at the historical and the sociological implications of where did Christianity come from? Because from an atheist perspective, all he can see is a carpenter was executed back in Israel 2,000 years ago. And one of the largest movements in the world has come out of that execution. How did that happen? And so he looked at all of the effects of what happened in our world to make Christianity valuable and grow. And here's what he found, is that Christianity has always been popular among women. And one of those things that makes Christianity popular among women is Christian marriage. Because everywhere else in the world, women are property, but in Christian marriage, women are valued and loved as equals. See, this Bible, if you look at it anywhere, it does not devalue women, it elevates them. And thousands and thousands of women came to Christ. And so what you see in the culture that Peter's speaking into is churches full of women who have come to Christ knowing that there is value in the message of the gospel who are married to unbelievers. Now let's take all of, these un, all of these instructions between husbands and wives and apply them to our modern culture. How does that apply to us? How do we put this into practice where we, where we actually follow what the Bible says? And, and let me say this. Every decision made within a marriage should be a 50-50 decision. We should work together. We should bargain and negotiate and meet in the middle. But because we are imperfect and because we cannot see eye to eye all the time, we will often come to an impasse in these discussions. So here's what the scripture would teach. I think this is the best way I've ever heard it, heard it put. Is if you come to a point where there is no way that the two of you can come to it, wives, you walk into that discussion knowing that you're going to give your husband the tiebreaker vote. That you will walk into this in submission to God and submission to him 
being willing to walk away from what you want based on him. But here's the magic of that is when a husband honors his wife, when he exercises that tiebreaker vote, he exercises it in favor of his wife's side. Husbands, if we honor our wives 95% of the time, we should choose to do as she calls us because we honor and we value her. See, Ephesians 5, which we're going to read here in a minute, it says this about husbands and wives. It says, submit to one another. Each of you put the other one in front of yourself. Don't walk into the argument and the discussion. Sure, you're going to win and get your way. Walk into the argument and the discussion, making sure that your spouse is going to get what they need or what they want or what they desire. How would that change the world if Christians began to do that? If we just simply followed the instructions. I love this. There is no book of marriage in your Bible. God didn't give us like Levitical law of marriage. Like, yes, the husband's time in the bathroom is at 8.13 and the wife's time turn in the bathroom is at 8.25 and the woman should feed her husband this many times a week and the husband should spend this many hours either working on the car or planting flowers for his wife. Didn't give any of that. Probably because God knew we're dumb and we wouldn't listen. God gave us a paragraph. And he said, if you will put this structure into your marriage, if you put this structure into your marriage, you will live happily together. You will enjoy marriage and you will show a picture of me. What would happen if we actually just took those paragraphs and applied them to our lives? We would never fight. It is impossible to have a fight when both people walk into the room with the sole goal of making sure that you're going to get what you want. Not me. You will not have a fight in that. And then we go out into the world and we're happy and people are going to walk up to us and go, why are you so happy? You're doing marriage wrong. That's not how marriage works. Everybody knows how marriage works. You spend way too much money on this wedding so that you can impress all of your friends with four pictures on your social media. And then for six months, things go pretty well. But after six months, the husband starts to get bitter because the wife doesn't want to have sex every night. And the wife starts to get bitter because the husband doesn't compliment her and pursue her in the in anymore. And a few months of that turns into a few years. And then what you have is a man in his, in his mid-30s or 40s sitting around with his buddies drinking beer. And he says things like, my old lady nags me a lot. Meanwhile, the wife's sitting at home making TikToks about how her husband is incompetent in everything and doesn't do anything, and she does everything. Everybody knows that's how marriage works. And after a few years of that, 50% of people give up, and the other 50% of people just suffer through it and be miserable for the rest of their lives. That's the way the world works. But not Christians. Not, not if we follow God's design for marriage. And the people come to us and go, well, what about your kids? What's wrong with your kids? They live in a house where mom and dad aren't fighting, so they never learn to manipulate mom against dad and dad against mom. And because they saw mutual respect and honoring of each other, they learn to respect and honor each of their parents, and then they go out in the world, and they respect and honor authority in the world. Meanwhile, my kid just lit the Walmart on fire down here. But something about your Christian life and your Christian family is different. And people are going to come to us and say, what is it? What's wrong with you? Because I want that. I deeply, deeply want a wife that respects and trusts me. I deeply, deeply want a husband that loves and sees the value in my mind and in my heart and not just in my body. What do you have, Christian, that I don't? And then that gives us the opportunity as followers of Christ to say something very simple, that this is all because of our faith in Jesus Christ. 
We go to church together and we pursue God together and we worship a God who fixes broken things and the standard of marriage and relationship in our world is broken, but God fixes that. And he fixes me because I was broken and in sin and he picked me up and he fixed me and my spouse was broken in sin and he picked my spouse up and he fixed her and he created something more beautiful than either of us could have had by ourselves because that's what our God does. And then we get to say to people, my marriage is actually a reflection of God's love for me and a reflection of God's love for you. Did you know that the most important thing about your marriage is not your happiness? The most important thing about being married is not how you feel on Monday morning or Friday night. God designed marriage to point to his love for the world. This is Ephesians chapter 5. I just want you to, to read this. I think you're going to hear some familiar things, but, but listen to what this says about marriage. I'm going to start in verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, that he loves his wife, he that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and his flesh and his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, that they shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, you saw some things in there that sounded familiar. Submit, love, adore, honor. And I find this interesting too. This wasn't written by the same person. Peter wrote first Peter. Ephesians was written by Paul. You have two different men writing scripture and they say almost the exact same thing about the design for marriage. But what Paul focuses on is that marriage is a metaphor for God's love. See, it's these puzzle pieces. When you put a godly husband and a godly wife together and they pursue marriage the way that the Bible teaches it, it gives us a picture of God's love. Your next take home truth is marriage is a picture of God's love and commitment to us. See, when the Bible talks about Christ and his love for his church, it always assumes that Jesus is the bridegroom and that he takes us and he loves us and he cherishes us. I'll never forget, guys, six years ago, I stood right here and I waited for my wife to walk into this room. And then I waited and I waited and I waited because she was late to her own wedding. I'll never forget standing here and I was looking at people and I was smiling and I'll never forget the second she walked in and she peeked around the corner of that sound booth. I was like, that's my wife. It's fixing to be my wife. I was so in love and I still am. Listen, that's the way, that's the way that Jesus looks at us. He loves and he cherishes us that way. And as the church, we are the bride of Christ. Our very existence is because we adore him. See, Jesus is the head of the church and as the head of the church, we as the church, we submit to him as the king of kings and the ultimate authority because we trust in his goodness. And Revelation talks of a day when he is going to come gather us unto 
to himself. And in heaven there is going to be a huge party as we are presented to him, purified and white, cleansed of sin. And we celebrate being with him forever. And this concept is repeated in parables in parables all throughout scripture. See, our marriages scream the truth that Jesus is the King of Kings. And as King of Kings, we adore him and we love him because we trust him. I saw a great picture of what it looks like for a husband to love his wife. And a picture of, of, of Christ's love for us as his church. Many of you will remember um, the Mississippi storms. Go ahead and pull up a picture for me, RB. The, the, the storms, the tornadoes that came through about a month ago. Those, those tornadoes blew through Arkansas and some of them went into Mississippi. This is Mr. Robert Lee and his wife. And, and they were right in, the, right in the path of the tornado. And Robert Lee and his wife, and they, they, they took shelter in the bathroom. It was the only place that they could hide. And their house stood, but the house next to them didn't. It was a trailer home, and one of the I-beams from under the trailer home was picked up and thrust through the bathroom. Robert Lee lost his life that day, but his wife lived. Because Robert Lee took his own body, and he covered his wife for her protection. He said, I would rather give my life than see my wife walk into death. And that's exactly, exactly what Jesus did for us. He looked at us in our sin. And he said, I'm willing to die for these people. I'm willing to pay for them sins because I would rather die than death take them from me. Live if you want to start making your way up here. This morning, I want you to know, and what we always want to focus on, is that you are so loved by God. He thinks you're great. He doesn't like some of the things that you do. Oh, but he adores you. There's nothing in this world more precious to Jesus Christ than you. So much so that he gave his own life. The scripture says this, greater love has no man than he lay down his life for another. Jesus Christ died for everybody in this room. And we get to sit here and we celebrate that every single Sunday and every time we gather. But maybe today you've heard that and you never accepted that. Jesus died for you. But he says, you accept that gift. He doesn't force it on you. Today can be the day. Today can be the day that you accept that gift. And for the rest of us, maybe there's something else that we talked about today. I can say this. I am not the authority that should stand on that stage and talk about marriage. I should have had my wife testify. She would tell you that. But we have things to work on because people look at every aspect of our lives, even our marriages and how we treat other people, and they're looking for Christ in them. And we want nothing more than to say, Christ loves you this much. So maybe this morning there's something that we need to leave here. Let's stand and worship together.